You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Shutdown Fullcast. The forecast this week, blood. The full cast forecast? The full cast forecast. Again, to repeat, blood. Everybody enjoy Thanksgiving. The forecast is blood. Blood. Your, your weird uncle is bringing blood soup. Blood from a turkey, blood from a ham, and blood from your dirty thieving rivals across town and or the state. That's correct. It's the Blood Week episode, and might I say, the Blood Week episode on the internet's only college football podcast. Remember, at Banner Society, we cover the entire sport. The past, the present, the future, sometimes all at once. Northwestern. Northwestern, which exists in both the past, present, and potentially the future. We are, we are the Dr. Manhattan of college football podcasts. Except we wear clothes, usually. Usually. But, Jason... Introduce us to the concept, to those who may not know it, but to our hardcore. Tell, tell everybody what we're going to be doing today here at this fine BannerSociety.com production. So this is one of the last in a series um, to be recorded on the concept of Blood Week, which is a week in the college football situation when all of the rankings don't mean shit. The number one team goes down, number nine team goes down, and everything else is going haywire. These are the weekends you live for. Uh, and we are now at Thanksgiving time, rivalry week time. My single personal favorite point in the entire college football calendar. I don't know about y'all. Uh, Spencer, you get to beat uh, beat FSU these days. That's pretty fun. Hey, I'll take that anyway. Uh, Vols and Vandy is probably a thing best left not discussed. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I was, that doesn't look they, like anything to me. They play in basketball, right? This time of year. 
Uh, yes. Oh no, yes. wait. Conference play is later in that Shit. in that sport. As a lifelong college basketball fan, I apologize. It turns out men can play basketball, which is a thing I'm always reminded of this time of year. Mm, I need to see I'm film. suspicious. Yeah. Mm, no, it's this true. is also the time of year when college basketball teams are playing like made up credit unions and, you know, they're playing like mm. Benedictine Kansas, you know, or like Florida International University. Who would lose to that? Who would lose to Florida International University? That's not a real school. <laughs> I could I could do with a Benedictine credit union. Frankly, I don't even know if a loss to Florida International is sanctioned under domestic law, much less international law. It's okay. The cane slander will get worse. I think after this past weekend, we kind of have to put up with uh, Florida International victories for a while. So, Lest we get throat slashed by a special teamer. <laughs> Goodness. So we're going to run through the majority of one season's Thanksgiving blood week, which sounds uh, protein filled, at least. You're getting a lot of protein in that turkey. Uh, but we're also going to run through a couple others that don't quite rank as the bloodiest Thanksgiving ever in college football history. Uh, I want to start us off with 1942. Spencer, you rem- remember it well, of course. Yep. Uh, 1942 because you know you got your first paper out it was it was it was the year i started trapping <laughs> spencer, first spencer was back home from the war <laughs> that's that's the best yeah i'm trapping what pelts your favorite trapper's favorite fur trapper and we're back to poor pelts <laughs> so 1942 speaking of the ongoing war Let's start with some hot... I love this one. This is one of my very favorite blood weeks of all. There's only three games that really make it as a blood week. Usually you're going to want more like five or six or seven big That's upsets. That's got to be pretty powerful. Every single one of these is a fucking all-timer. Georgia pre-flight. Not even one of the best pre-flights. Scored 35 points. The team, which was at home in this game, was number seven Alabama, suffering a loss to Georgia pre-flight, which would stop playing football a year or two later. Uh, Bama would go 0-3 this year against teams from Georgia and 8-0 against teams from everywhere else. Uh, And Georgia pre-flight, you know, Iowa pre-flight is one of the best programs of the era. Also, Del Monte, St. Mary's, and some airfields and marine bases. and They lost to pineapples! (laughs) Yeah. Georgia pre-flight is not the pre-flight you want to lose to, Bama. Uh, also, at the same time this week, number five, number two, Georgia Tech, all right? So, again, things are off the rails. Georgia Tech is number two. Scores zero points. Uh, the team defeating them with 34 points is Georgia. Uh, Georgia goes on to win the Rose Bowl. Would have a pretty good national title case, and frankly, I think they should claim it. Uh, but the AP picked Ohio State. That Typical. brings us to... One of the biggest upsets of all time. If if you took the if you think if you took the names of the teams off of the scoreboard, this might be the number one upset of all time. Five, four, and one. Holy Cross finished number fifty in SRS ratings, even counting this game. Fifty-five points. Number one, Boston College, twelve. <laughs> what? Boston College was days away from a national title and got destroyed by Holy Cross. Nah. Happens to the best of us. Apparently, at least in 1942, I guess. So that's pretty good shit. Uh, 
We have a much more recent one, 2017. This one uh, has already fallen within the jurisdiction of this program. Uh, but it, it quite arguably one of as many as four blood weeks from that season. Uh, this season was actually awesome, it turns out. That's how you wind up with, like, you know, the number four playoff team is someone that everyone is mad about. Thanksgiving night, a 6-6 six and six Ole Miss beats a number 16 Mississippi State in the most egg bowl, egg bowl of all time. <laughs> you had recruiting spite and finger pointing leading to literal finger pointing. There were, there were middle fingers. There were waves at Dan Mullen by players on the field. There was end zone P. <laughs> yeah, yeah, virtual end zone P, we think. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is followed a day later by 5-7 and seven Pittsburgh Panthers. Defeating number the most two. dangerous team in college football, <laughs> defeating a five and seven pit team. Number two, Miami, you dipshits. You went to pit on Black Friday. There were like seven I mean, people there, including Alex Kirshner. <laughs> can I tell you this on Black Friday? Pitt's handing out deals on ass whippings, right? You can catch them all day for half price. I mean, look at type out five and seven on your phones or wherever you are right now. It looks like a gun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See? You should have seen it coming, Miami. Miami. Right? Pitt alone. Pitt alone at five and seven <laughs> should have been a sign that things you probably shouldn't have shown up. Miami has since solved that problem. Well, yeah. <laughs> In re-showing up. Uh, Miami's 10-0. The U is back, right? We all swore the U was back. Uh, Miami's record since. Do we have any guesses? Let's let's uh, let's set it at let's set five hundred five hundred over or under. I'm gonna go under three seventy five. Okay. Miami came in at ten and zero. Miami is thirteen and fourteen since daring to play Pitt. Pitt broke Miami. Oh! They caught they caught that they caught that you know thick cut fry flu. The Permanti pox. <laughs> yeah, the Permanti pox. <laughs> they say it's going around. Uh, also, the reason we thought Miami was back was because Miami had beaten Notre Dame. That always is sustainable and meaningful. Uh, Notre Dame would lose by 18 to a lower-ranked Stanford in this week. Uh, also, we had a number 15 Washington beating a number 14 Washington State. Now, that does not alone sound all that meaningful. It's only one spot. And also, as history shows, when Wazoo is higher-ranked, Washington will probably win. We have a post on our website, bannersociety.com about the most chaotic rivalries, and the Apple Cup appears almost entirely because the big bully beats Washington State. It's very sad and tragic. Whenever Washington State <laughs> is actually good, that is when Washington decides to act like a little guy. And That is when Washington knucks up hardest, right? Yeah. That is when... That is when they decide, ah, aristocracy has been threatened. Yeah, that's when Washington is like, they're coming, they're, they're trying to tax my capital gains. I'm running for president now. Yeah, they're trying it. to tax my sailboat. So, the, yeah, they do have boats, those bastards. With the it's ocean. true, oh my gosh. We're, we're out here with our hills. They got a whole ocean. We're and out here sailing the lentil fields. Fancy purebred dogs and Microsoft and yachts and... Then they go out there and there's a mangy cougar in them lentil fields. Just wait till the volcano tsunami shows up. That's the Wazoo <laughs> uprising. This feels bad because it could happen any day now. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, the volcano's no. going to blow. Oh, shit. Jason. It, listen, okay. if the volcano blows, don't blame me. It was going to happen anyway. Sure, uh, buddy. The, 
<laughs> I didn't do it. So the reason this one makes the cut as a blood week game is uh, the margin. Washington 41, Wazoo 14. What's that mean? They got... They got palindromed. Yeah. Yeah. They got palindromed. They got palindromed. That's never which is Which there are, there are humiliating ways to lose. For instance, Roger Sherman has coined the term Fetty Wopped, right? Uh, for a specific kind of loss. What, what kind of loss? Um, I believe that's where you lose 38-17, right? Uh, then there is the palindroming where you lose by 41-14 or 51-15. This is a favorite in Tennessee. It is a big favorite. And this is also one of a Florida favorite. Florida has done the 41-14 a couple of different times. And it is it is a delight every time. It's never good for your team if you're on the reverse end of a palindroming, generally speaking. It's bad. 32-23, even. Yeah, 10 to 1 is as good as it can get. And you only got this one. This is point. the only college football podcast in which I have to duck out for a minute to look up who is at risk from volcanic eruptions in Washington State on the USGS website? Answer, everyone. Yeah, pretty much. Wow, sorry. Uh, except, for also, those, except for those fancy Washington Huskies out on their boats. Yeah, Mount Woo! St. Helens got backup dancers. Is, is Eastern saying. Washington fine? Maybe, maybe they are the sole survivors. Mm. They already got a red I, field. How can you hurt them? I will say this. If there's a way to lose in this scenario... Washington State will find it. Wow. Yeah. True. That's the simplest solution. Uh, also, in this bloody Thanksgiving of 2017, unranked Fresno State beat Boise State. This did not matter a whole lot because Boise got revenge a week later in the conference title game. Also, not mattering a lot, Auburn won the Iron Bowl. So, this was a, uh, a week where basically nothing that happened that was bad actually mattered all that much, except for uh, Miami. So thank you, Miami, for bearing all the burdens of the rest of us. This brings us to the greatest Thanksgiving blood week in the history of college football, 2010. See, Auburn, things are looking up already. Uh, and for, I think, better dramatic uh, <laughs> storytelling than we've done on these before, um, I usually set it up where it's like, let's start with a good game and then sort of peter out. We will go in reverse order, which means we will start with Holly. What game do we have here? Unranked Minnesota versus number 24, Iowa. This is a very Iowa-type Iowa team. Uh, they finished 8-5. and five. They beat number 5, Michigan State, 37-6 to six in Kinnick. Uh, they lost by a point to Wisconsin in a game where the Badgers would pull out a fake punt to stun Iowa, who would never pass up a wholesome American punt. The betrayal. Oh, I know. They almost beat Ohio State in a 2017 loss at home that almost turns into a classic Hawkeye upset. And then they ran into the buzzsaw that was 3-9 and nine Minnesota. The very, <laughs> very weird thing making them different than other Iowa teams is losing to this Minnesota team. A team that fits a nine-game losing streak into the 2010 season. The 2010 Gophers lost to FCS South Dakota, no shame there, NIU, and a 4-8 and eight Purdue team. Mm. Minnesota fires Tim Brewster on October 17th, and from then on are operating as zombie Gophers. Now, let me let me just chime in here with this. You'll think, oh man, didn't those Gophers like just rip off like, oh man, they fired their guy. They went like 3-1 and one or 4-0 oh down the stretch. Nope, nope, went 2-2, two and two, y'all. Just nope. kind of... 
Which, considering that they were in the middle of, you know, the nine-game losing streak, not too bad. Could call this a half-life. The zombie gophers uh, rush for 216 yards against Iowa. <laughs> the most the Hawkeyes defense will allow all year. Iowa only has two more yards than that of total offense for a total of 218 yards. Uh, total yards are a terrible stat, but they're extremely funny. Somehow, they don't collapse after Iowa takes a 24-20 lead in the fourth quarter. Minnesota comes back to win 27-24. Iowa finishes unranked even after beating Mizzou in the insight poll. So this is, just imagine Iowa clinging to the ledge of being ranked, right? Like, nope. I'm part of this! (laughs) Minnesota grabs their legs on their fall on the way down, and they never get back on that ranked train, y'all. Uh, Jason, I believe you had another unranked ankle biter in the holster. I just noticed two funny things about 2010 Minnesota. Uh, according to the wiki, when they won the Floyd of Rosedale, the pig trophy back from Iowa, quote, the greatest rivalry trophy. <laughs> this was the first ra- tr- a first trophy game win for the Gophers since before Brewster took over. I, I had forgotten all about this. Minnesota's vast trophy case was just empty. <laughs> well, I think we figured out what the problem was. <laughs> There's Hey, speaking of rivalry trophies, bannersociety.com, maybe Thursday or so. Um, also, Jeff Horton, who took over as the interim for, uh, for Tim Brewster, ever since then, he's been running San Diego State's offense, which, ugh, San Diego State oh, is like, God. San Diego State is basically competent Northwestern, so... Yeah. So wait, he basically took his, he's ported his lifestyle wholesale to Orange County? Yes. Yeah. He's Well done. Yeah. He's turned San Diego State into interim Minnesota. Yeah. If you want to watch, if you want to which, watch Flat Bill Cap Georgia, just watch San Diego State. <laughs> we should do all boring team playoff. <laughs> I mean, we're getting there with the shunning of Utah, but. All right, all right, we'll talk about it on Sunday. <laughs> uh, so also in 2010, right. we had slightly higher in the rankings. We had an unranked Maryland beating number 21, NC State 31. Russell Wilson throws four touchdowns on the day, but he is outdueled by instant ACC legend Danny O'Brien. Remember this guy? I do. He was amazing for a year. Yeah. He was going to... What a turtle. <laughs> he was going to change the entire fortune of Maryland, and um, then he and Russell Wilson would both transfer to wisconsin uh danny o'brien wait do you think they like do you think they like met and just became bffs at that game i think so they were like hey i threw four touchdowns i'm going to minnesota or wisconsin how about you yeah me too yeah uh danny o'brien of course eventually replaces mac legend jordan lynch in the cfl jordan lynch's head coach at niu was dave doran bringing us back to nc state why, why did we want to end up there well, we will make it. <laughs> we ended up back at NC Stone. No. Oh, shit. Keep driving. Keep driving. Oh. Okay, let's, oh, dear. let's keep driving then. If NC State had beaten Maryland in this game, this is a 10-win top 20 Wolfpack team, the second best NC State team of our collective lifetimes. Is there a chance, if you're in the top 20, that Tom O'Brien and Russell Wilson work it out, that, w- that Russ does not transfer to Wisconsin? In that case, 21 Wisconsin without Russell Wilson does not win the Big Ten. Does Burt still get the Arkansas job? If Burt doesn't pull all that off, does his coaching tree lack some bona fides? If so, this takes some shine off his former assistant coach, Dave Doran. And now we're, shit, we're back at NC State again. 
Are you telling me that Brett Bielema's coaching tree is watered with the milk of the blood of Tom O'Brien? Tom O'Brien's blood is milk, so yes, definitely. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Skim yeah. milk. Yes. It is skim milk. <laughs> yeah. This brings us to, uh, does this take us to Bedlam? I believe it does, in which, <laughs> hey guys, you know what they say about Bedlam? Anything can happen in Bedlam, but especially Oklahoma winning. That's not a good version of the joke. Or except Oklahoma State winning. Jason, you do the joke. You do the joke, Jason. So what I had written down as the note was, anything can happen in Bedlam. Number 14, Oklahoma can win at number 10, Oklahoma State. And, you know, it has video, Oklahoma can win by one, Oklahoma can win by 80, so on and so forth. I was just trying to, yeah, I was was just trying to do the online thing. Bedlam 2010, uh, in which number 14, Oklahoma, beat number 10, Oklahoma State, 47 to 41, uh, to create a three-way tie atop the Big 12 South. Mm. Kids, ask your parents. Uh, Oklahoma State heading into this game was 10-1 and with just the one loss to Nebraska and favored somehow like they didn't know this is Bedlam. Uh, Oklahoma was an underdog after two horrible road losses. Road losses to Mizzou and Texas A&M. Big 12 kids, ask your parents. Uh, Oklahoma State did have Brandon Whedon and Justin Blackman. There was a reason for real that they were favored, and it's mostly these guys. Landry Jones is all over the place here. He throws two interceptions in the first half on balls he was trying to throw away. He throws another one that goes for a pick six. And then Jones throws an 88-yard touchdown and a 76-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter to pull ahead and beat the Cowboys. All part of a fourth quarter with a combined 40-point finish. Uh, This being Bedlam, it did not work out for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma forced a three-way tie, as I said, atop the Big 12 South. Got the tiebreaker, made the Big 12 championship game, beat Nebraska this time. Uh, Oklahoma State had to settle for beating the daylights out of Arizona in the Alamo Bowl. This is Landry Jones' like finest hour, and it's also his worst hour. Landry Jones throws like three of the worst passes you will ever see in the first half of this game. It is not kind to him to watch the first half. The second half, he looks like a god. Like an incredible golden god. This is one more example, by the way, of Oklahoma State not only benefiting from this, because Oklahoma State ends up in a three-way tie. The most Oklahoma thing possible in this rivalry is not only to take their weakest team, right, in years under Bob Stoops, and somehow manage to, again, screw the Cowboys out of something, right? They didn't even get them into a direct tie with a tiebreaker. It was like, ah, Nebraska's over there just sort of, or A&M's over there just middling about. Also, by the way, peak A&M in that they end up in a three-way tie for this and don't win, right? That they have a kind of mediocre year anyway, but they're like, oh, well, technically, there's a lot of that in A&M's history, right? Like, technically, we were invited to that party. We didn't, we didn't want to go. Technically, my gun's a clergyman. Yeah, we're we're there. See, look, we're there. There's me, There there's Drake, and there's, there's Jay-Z. Yeah, that's because they're on the stage together and you're at the concert. We're all in the same building, okay? I, I didn't want to be on stage. I'd, yeah. I'm, I'd, they were afraid of these bars. I don't like the altitude. <laughs> I don't trust it. I like that the reward for this is basically getting to play UConn. <laughs> what a prize. Like free Fiesta Bowl victory. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> free tickets, actually. The free estimable. <laughs> free trip to Glendale. Free trip to okay, Glendale. you're making it sound worse. Let's go back to free Fiesta Bolt victory. But this was peak Fiesta Bolt era still. So like, yeah, this was John Junker yeah, era. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You get the good party. Get that golf. You stay over on Saddleback Mountain, mm-hmm. right? You stay. You stay at the uh, the nice little junket that they got set up. You get all of the freebies in the corporate boxes. You get John Junker. Just I don't know, writing you a check for showing up. Mm-hmm. John Junker's like, all right. We're going to get tattoos together. This is the best <laughs> night of my life. Firing guns, popping do, bottles. When the Fed showed up, did they do something like, I'm not leaving? I'm not leaving! You have to pry me out of the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> I came for the golf. I stayed for the golf. <laughs> Bury me with my golf. <laughs> and my blazers. We've got to become corrupt bowl officials. That's how this it's all has to end up. Hashtag Banner you. Society New Mexico Bowl. Uh, we will we will turn the New Mexico Bowl into a crime ring. No sweat. Yeah, three easy steps. One, be a be a bowl game. You're already thirty three percent of the way there. Twenty ten Thanksgiving Blood Week weekend. We have three games to go. We've we've had all this excitement with three whole games to go. What's what's next here? Is it Arkansas LSU? Oh, it's me again. Hello. Number 12, Arkansas versus number six, LSU. Uh, boys, I know that we are we are staging this episode so that it can be enjoyed by our brothers and sisters out there in the world for, for many weeks and months to come. But does anybody want to review real quick what just happened in Arkansas and LSU? Would that be Ed Ogeron basically refusing to acknowledge Arkansas as FBS? That they should have that and them. them leaving the rivalry trophy behind. Yeah. On the field. I, I have an alternate theory on why they left it behind. That shit's heavy. It is huge, and it's it's real heavy. And it's a terrible trophy, but it's also the second week in a row that they've that LSU has left a rivalry trophy on the field. Is this an excuse for me to say Coach Condo? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Maybe Coach run out of space in the storage unit. <laughs> All right. Number 12, Arkansas, and number six, LSU. The finest hour of the deeply underrated Kenile Davis. 30 rushes for 152 yards, one touchdown. The finest hour of the also deeply underrated, underrated er, Joe Adams. Hell yes. A year after having a stroke, Adams catches a pass on fourth and three and goes 39 yards for a score. The man he beats on that pass is Tyran Matthew. Wow. Arkansas did not get this one cheap or easy. Um, the finest hour, I think we can all agree, of Ryan Mallett. Uh, the much maligned uh, by us transfer quarterback has his big moment. Threw for 320 yards, which is almost as long as Ryan Mallett himself is tall. Uh and three touchdowns in a game where LSU never led, and Jordan Jefferson fumbled away LSU's last chance on their one-yard line with a minute to go. This part at least should be a little familiar. Um, The finest hour also, perhaps, of Bobby Petrino, since this is actually his signature win at Arkansas. Yeah, there's there's like two great things that Bobby Petrino did as a college coach. One, he insisted that Lamar Jackson was a pocket quarterback. He did. He worked offense around it, but he is the guy. Well, he insisted after he had him fielding punts that one time when he was a freshman, uh-huh. Lamar's mom called him. And that's his, his mom <laughs> and, and all his family called and left so many messages on his phone. 
that Bobby Petrino became a staunch believer in Lamar Jackson, pocket quarterback. Correct. He, you know, let's, uh, let's you know. Don't care He's how, a little late to the party, but let's embrace that he showed up at all. Don't care how you get there as yeah. long as you get there, right? The second thing, he beats spoken this. Spoken like a man on a motorcycle. Yeah, spoken <laughs> like that's right. Banged up, but I'm still here for the press conference. What are we talking about? Anyway, oh, yes. No. We're talking Bobby about Petrino. my sugar bowl hat is what we're talking about. <laughs> which, by the way, which sugar bowl are we talking about? The sugar bowl that he gets to by going for it on fourth and three, by beating this LSU team, and by taking them all the way to said sugar bowl, where they get that gear that he later wears at his precious press conference, and where against Ohio State, they give Jim Tressel an actual win over an SEC team in a big game. God damn it, Arkansas! We always have to answer for you. They all had a great time, though. Every Ohio State fan I know who went to that bowl game said, Arkansas people are crazy. I really like them. I'm kind of scared of them, but they're cool. In the way that I, I always say Michigan and Tennessee fans are uh, analogous to one another, I think that Arkansas uh, and Ohio State kind of are also on the same the same wavelength, by which I mean I think their fan base has the same proportion of people who are professional DJs. <laughs> Very different kind of DJs. No, not that different. <laughs> Let's uh, but y'all like honky tonk vadonka donk. Hell yes. No, it's honky tonk vadonka donk, and then you go into like disturbed. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. It's a remix of Headstrong. You play it right after that. It's amazing. I'm just saying. I feel like I feel like this was an exchange of an exchange of hearts and minds uh, in New Orleans. That leaves us with two big games from this week uh, and two of the games of the decade, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I believe the first one that you have, if I'm correct, is Boise State, Nevada. That's right. Okay. I really, really think there is a point where the Boise State wave breaks and, and it's over the course of these two years and two particular games. One is in 2011 when they lose by a point to TCU for their only loss for the year. That's as good as Boise State gets for a really long time. Chris Peterson kind of, I don't know. I think after a while you just sort of say, I think I've done everything I can here. And after losing by one point to TCU to blow your best shot at kind of national relevance and competing in the BCS, I Chris Peterson did more than any coach I can remember to play within the system and get a spot. And this is as far as he got, right? The other big surge and the point where it breaks is here on November 27th, 2010 against Nevada. I remember where I was for this game and I was not at this game, but I have such a clear memory of watching this fall apart. Yeah. Uh, I was at the Egg Bowl and I was staying at a professor friend's house with a, a bunch of other people and everyone else had gone to bed. And I was the only idiot up watching Boise, Nevada. And I remember just sitting there on the couch, like cramming my fist in my mouth, trying to stop myself from waking the entire house up. I was like, don't you fuck this up! Because Boise State in 2010, Boise State is not uh, an outsider. Boise State is not a dark horse. Boise State is straight up. They're a horse horse. They're a bit, yeah, they're a proper horse horse. They're a Mr. Horse. And you will call them by the title and name which they deserve and demand. This was an outstanding football team. One that started the year by beating number 13, Virginia Tech, straight up by beating number 24, 
Oregon State straight up by plowing through the rest of their schedule with blowout after blowout after blowout at one point scoring over 40 points for six straight games leading up to a 51-0 blowout of Fresno State the week before this was Nevada. This was finger guns, Boise. This was finger guns, Boise, y'all. This was the Boise team uh, that will, I believe, the following year roll up and beat Georgia. Was this muscle hamster, Boise? This is, Doug, yeah, th- this yeah. roster is deep. This roster is talented. And this roster is very comfortable in this system. At this point, Kellen Moore at quarterback is calling his own plays. It used to be that Chris Peterson would send in, like, he would send in three plays or he'd send in four plays and, you know, sort of say, hey, you should choose this one. Uh, No, Kellen Moore was so good. Coach's son! Uh, He would come in and choose the play himself, call it, call protections. You really didn't know what you were facing on the field with them because he could change the play at any point. Yeah, we've talked before on the show about watching him run this offense at Georgia or against Georgia in the Chick-fil-A game. And it was it was like watching Cerebro at work. If you wanted to know how someone ends up being an offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys at a young age, he's been his own offensive coordinator for a long time and perfectly in mind meld with his head coach. This is an awesome team, all right? Doug Martin at running back, Austin Pettis and Titus Young at wide receiver, Kellen Moore. Uh, you got a bunch of, uh, like, wax first, second, and third teamers. Like, this is an outstanding group. And they're coming in against a Nevada team that is 19 and features the best pistol offense that will ever take the field anywhere. Including? At Nevada. Including the NFL. (laughs) And including (laughs) at the NFL, although I don't know. Lamar Jackson's like coming close, right? This is a team that features Colin Kaepernick. That's who I was trying to get to with the including. There you go. Sorry. Our young, angry ostrich himself. Yeah, a startling talent. There's really no other way to say what Colin Kaepernick looked like as a college football player next to almost mortal college football players, right? Yeah, like an angry ostrich, which is why we called him angry ostrich. Tall, ran, ran with, like a bird on fire. If I said high profile runner, that sort of gets at what we're talking about because he it's ran. It's like he was levitating while he was yeah it's like he was running on a dolly he ran elevated above the ground he ran at full height is what we're saying Mm -hmm. you could see him like a parent running across a playground to get a hurt child that was how colin kaepernick ran at all times out of the pistol offense this is an offense where he and running back vital are functioning at like max cute there is no error they made every read right and they beat the crap out of people consistently. Just drag them up and down the field. A rush first offense that still managed to turn Kaepernick into a 3,000 yard passer. Uh, they were a joy. If you wanted something really unique, you stayed up late and you watched whack games where Nevada would absolutely befuddle people for the entire game. They take down some serious heads here as well. They end up beating BYU. Uh, in Provo 27-13 in September, right? They kick everyone's ass in the whack uh, with the exception of a fluky, weird loss on the road at Hawaii on the island. Hawaii tends to be real good on the island, so maybe not that fluky whatsoever. But they drop one to number 19, Hawaii, and then they roll in to face Boise State, a team that should buy all means drag them up and down the field. And that's exactly what happens for a half. Uh, At one point, remember this lead, it's an important one. They're up 24-7 at the half. Boise is cruising. 
And the last point before this all begins is kicked by preseason Lou Groza watchlister Kyle Bratzman, who to this point has missed two, two field goal attempts all year long. Might might come in handy later because what happens is that the pistol the pistol starts bucking. Nevada starts scoring points. Nevada starts running the ball. Nevada controls this game. There are some comebacks that start with lightning strikes and some that start with quick shots and some that start with fumbles and turnovers. There's none of that here. Nevada just starts submission pounding Boise State into the turf. They end up running for something like 269 yards in this game. But more importantly, they control how things work. Kaepernick doesn't have a great game running the ball. He has like 45 yards rushing total. But Vitala goes off, and they control the ball for 50 minutes out of a total of 75, right, in regulation and OT. They wear Boise State out. That doesn't keep Boise State from getting into position for a potential game-winning field goal, which Kyle Bratzman misses. And that doesn't keep them from going into OT, where Kyle Bratzman has to kick and misses again. He'd missed twice all year, and he misses twice in the span of about 16 minutes for Boise State, giving them their only loss. I can't... It was genuinely devastating It to was watch. awful. It was horrible to watch. Even if you wanted Nevada to win. And if you watch the second half of this game... I had no investment in this game. No. I was just like wrapped if you watch like this this little moment in, in college football history is the apex of what we talk about when we talk about the theater and pageantry of this game but also the kind of teeth grinding anxiety and heartbreak that happens in this moment because even if you were like me and watching and could not deny the greatness of nevada coming back from 24 27 to win this game 34 31 in ot you had to feel for kyle brotsman because kyle brotsman he misses, he misses bad, and it is the only thing keeping Boise State from making a legitimate claim at at least a BCS slot, if not the national title, because coming into this game, Boise State, they are ranked four in the BCS. They are ranked third in the AP poll. They are ranked ahead of a lot of the teams that would make claims for a national title and or a shot at the national title later. And instead, they fall back into a mess of one-loss teams, including Oregon, including Stanford, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. And instead of playing with the big boys and playing for large stakes at the end of the season, Boise State goes on to play in the Vegas Bowl against a derelict Arizona State team. I, did, I was at that game. Sam Boyd! Dennis Erickson cried after. He should have. He got his ass beat. Well, yeah hard nevada by the way nevada doesn't lose another game either this is this is this is a, a moment where things really could have turned for boise state and they could have cashed in they get another shot the next year against tcu who ironically they're competing for the same kind of attention as a non-power five conference member at the time they are in the mountain west which boise state will later join instead boise state's playing in the whack as of 2010 and they miss and they're going to miss again because they lose by one point to tcu in 2011 eventually leading to chris peterson's departure and boise state's current status as an excellent team that will fall short of being considered uh, not just as a giant killer but as a giant themselves i am 
moved and somewhat sad by the recollection of this moment. I told the story so good I made myself cry. I know. I know. The the glory the glory of the pistol under Kaepernick and Vitawa. A thing not to be replicated. A singular moment that upended Boise State's long, arduous climb into the mainstream. I had no skin in this game whatsoever. And like I said, it, it was late even in, it was Oxford. It was late even in Oxford, even in Central Time. And I was like, you know, curled up on this couch, wrapped up in somebody else's afghan. And I just remember hissing, oh no, oh no, oh no. Just over and over again. I went to the next game. I was at Boise State, Utah State. Yeah. And I have never seen, I went to the last Texas, Texas A&M game. And I've still not seen a fan base as emotionally burdened and tormented by a recent memory of failure as as those fans going into the stadium because they kicked the crap out of Utah State and it still didn't feel like a victory. The hangover wow, was... Texas vi- disappoints again, huh? <laughs> a contagious Oh, but Texas fans are known for being so passionate. You're saying no? <laughs> no? I think what what sort of what sort of was bumming everyone out at the time ended up being correct. That foreboding feeling that like Absolutely. Boise State worked for six years to get <sighs> here and that was as close as they'll ever get. That was true. Because and, this would and begin we knew it. this would begin a streak of three straight Vegas bowls. After like Fiesta Bowl became the standard. Now it's mm-hmm. Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. And you this the worst part about it is this. It was not as if you could look at Nevada and say, Oh, you cheaped out. You're not supposed to be here. They they were they were eleven and one after this game. They were the better, like they were arguably the better team. They might have waited to show up until it was twenty four seven, but they controlled everything happening in that game. Every single point at every single matchup, they won it fair and square with the best Nevada team to ever play at the school, and it's that's thing, just. Oh. It's a thing you forget about Blood Week, even when celebrating Blood Weeks. We all got blood. <laughs> It's just, it's got to be yours or theirs, man. Pick one. So that, it's rough. That one was sad. How about something that's not so sad? (laughs) Yeah, because what you're seeing here is a product of the inequity of the system, right? That Boise State and Nevada played each other, and on a collision course, only one of them could win on the way towards their pinnacle, which their pinnacle is for many programs the letdown, right? What Boise State or Nevada's best outcome is often what we would call a disappointment from heights greater than theirs. For instance, if I told you, oh, Alabama ended up going to the Vegas Bowl, that'd be confusing, (laughs) right? And considering it good, be like, oh, hey, we had a quarterback drafted. Actually, that would be really good for Alabama. Would be, because that's not really their thing, is it? Hasn't been. But But if it were Alabama, right? And they were coming in in 2010, the year we are talking about. And they did go into the Iron Bowl, right? Is that is that happening for any particular reason? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely happening for a reason, okay? The reason is, we're talking about the 2010 Iron Bowl. Cue Cam's theme music. I don't know what Cam's theme music is. I just played the Thriller laugh from Vincent. Well, Price we it's, I figured that was pretty much it. We, it's Thriller. We know Bama had theme music for Auburn in this game. They did. They did because if you'll remember, 
Bama before this game. Cam Newton embroiled in controversy, even as the season unfolded. Cam Newton, during pregame warm-ups, walks out on the field at Bryant-Denny Stadium, or as our friends are fond of calling it, Brian-Dennehy Stadium. You can't prove that it's not called that. I can't. It's true. The man played an architect on film and made it interesting. He's a genius! Name a stadium after him. Anyway, comes out on the field pregame in 2010, Bryant-Denny Stadium. And what is playing over the loudspeakers? That is correct. The Steve Miller bands take the money and run. Which, again, like Chase Young, that's a pretty good Cam mission statement. It is. It is. Take the money and run because it's an ongoing investigation. Along By with, the time uh, you... they're also playing Son of a Preacher Man. In... They were. See, I think that's sweet. Yeah, technically. <laughs> technically. I know they didn't mean it to be sweet. Sure, but sure. I think that's sweet. Yeah, if if not reference if if it's not by the way if it's not referencing anyone else's failure, you know, then that's fine. But if it's referencing a recent scandal, I don't know. I'm okay with that. It's fairly entertaining in a way that benefits me personally. This Alabama team, by the way, had already served as a teaching point for Nick Saban and all of the teams to come because this is the team that did bad things. This is the team that This is my favorite Alabama team ever. Yeah, it's the best because this is the team that... This is the team that lost to South Carolina. This is the team that allowed a Les Miles offense to score 21 points. Now that you've seen what an LSU offense can do when it's not being coached like it's 1935, you understand how bad 21 points is allowed to a Les Miles offense, especially in the year 2010. And this is the team that loses to Steve Spurrier. That doesn't feel right, does it? They didn't no. lose to Steve Spurrier. No, they didn't lose to Steve Spurrier. Who did they, they lose lost to? to someone very specific. Who did they lose to? I, for me, the 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 emotions are still too tender. I need to go polish my collection of mall swords. That is correct. Uh, until I can. Oh, Stephen Garcia, we miss you, buddy. That is correct. They forever lose... the people's Heisman of my heart. They show up. To Williams Bryce Stadium in Columbia, South Carolina, and they cough up an epic 35-21 loss to, among other people, Stephen Orr Spurrier and Marcus Lattimore. Marcus Lattimore also has a really big part. Uh, this, I thought that's an actual. Thing. I thought you were adding Orr to everyone's name, like Stephen Orr Garcia. I thought and you were too. Marcus no, Orr Steve- Lattimore. Marcus or Lattimore. I don't know Stephen Garcia's middle name, and I'm gonna find it out. Y'all. So it I think I think great. with Marcus Lattimore, it's or O R E, like you know, because mm-hmm. he's a rock. With oh, with yeah. Stephen Garcia, it's just it also uh, says Lattimore on the end of his name. Yeah, yeah, that's true. With Stephen Garcia, it's O R Stephen or Garcia, one of the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to 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 get it straight, though, this is remembered, I think, as an underdog Auburn team scrabbling like steven garcia's middle name is glenn with two n's figures wow well, that's totally a glenn hey how dare you that's his alter ego sir but with this and losing their number one ranking at number 19 south carolina and why i will argue is the greatest accomplishment of south carolina football of all time it's their first ever win over a number one ranked opponent that is correct coming in with two losses and coming, coming hot off of a, a 63-7 win over Georgia State. Georgia State yeah. scored in Bryant-Denny. They did. Nine weeks after losing to an NAIA school only known for hiring Hugh Freeze. I'm glad I teed that up for you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm thrilled that moment was able to happen. 
We did it. That was a good set and a good hey, spike. Speaking of, of sets of Spurrier data, do we remember how South Carolina ended that season? You know, I do not off the top of my head. Losing to Florida State in the Chick-fil-A Bowl, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. After giving up about 30 billion points in the SEC title game. That is correct. Hmm. What is what is the peak for South Carolina? We were talking about historical peaks. Making, making the SEC championship game. What happened after that? Disregard. Irrelevant. Skip. Skip. Just going to curl up in the corner with my Brazilian rain stick and <laughs> pretend I'm into Spencer Gifts. So, in this game, Alabama rolls out and uh, Mean in Business takes a 24-0 lead in the second quarter. A hapless Auburn defense cannot handle what that brilliant Jim McElwain coordinated offense throwing at it. <laughs> God, Jason, why are we in the episode like this? He's going to go on about it. Cam Newton. Cam Newton apparently baffled by all that wizardry Nick Saban's throwing at him. Incomprehensible, isn't it? I wish you guys could see the gestures he's doing right now. I want you to know they're as spiteful and mocking as possible. Cause... It kind of Have you been on the octopus ride at a, a kind of a low market carnival? It's kind of like that. You look like that. Because you know what beats Nick Saban's huge brain? Better players! Jesus Legendary players! Can't nerd your way out of this one, little man. Yell that way. I get passionate about this. Can I throw mm. a extreme tangent in real quick? Please. So Please. right before this season, uh, Jim McElwain had declined an offer to become San Jose State's head coach. <laughs> Probably a good idea because Alabama's first game this year was against no! San Jose State. <laughs> he took one look at the schedule and said, Do you think that's said, why he turned it down? Yeah, I'll be staying put, thanks. I want to be on this side, not that side. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, when I say better players, by the way, ended up beating Alabama that day because Auburn had better players. I think players you mean there was singular, right? No, 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 no. I'm talking about timely, timely plays by better players at other positions. I'm not actually talking about Cam Newton. Okay. I'm not. I'm talking about Antoine Carter defensive end because with a 24 nothing lead, Mark Ingram is streaking down the sidelines with the ball in his hands for what will be a sure touchdown. And Antoine Carter catches him. And when he catches him, he punches the ball out. And he fumbles. And Alabama, I don't know. There's just this weird thing where, like, field goals match up with bad moments in Alabama history. It's nuts. It just keeps happening. It's nuts, but I love it so much because it's what you'd think would be the most replicable part of any football game the easiest to reproduce in lab conditions and thus the easiest to perfect. And he can't. So if Ingram scores on that pass, by the way, and Alabama had been passing at will using some weird alignments. At one point, Julio Jones goes for an untouched 68 yarder. Just nobody near him. It would have been 28, nothing. And that number might be important later. If Antoine Carter had not caught Ingram and punched the ball out, um, and getting a touchback. And then at that point, guess how many points Alabama scores forward? Three. For the rest of the game. Never heard that story before also, by the way. Alabama just shutting down and not scoring any points. What, Alabama scoring three points? Yeah, they don't tend to be good at that. I love you, Jason. I don't tell you that enough. Same. At that point then, uh, Cam Newton gets cranking. Cam Newton will pass for three TDs. He will run for another. 
at this point, Auburn will score 14 in the third, seven in the fourth. Alabama will wait on its offense for a response, but the punishment adds up for Greg McElroy. And guess who's on the other end of that? That's right, the Nick Fairley. When you talk about 2010 Auburn as a superb, mean, brutal football team, there are two dynamics that occur every single time they manage to win. One, they come from behind because Cam sort of just like wakes up. I don't know, he's sleepy, comes around in the third. They come from behind in eight out of 12 games that year in the regular season to win. The other thing that they manage to do is this. At one point, Nick Fairley will show up and tune someone up. That's it. He will he will cripple somebody. He will injure somebody. He will land on someone uh, who's not supposed to be landed on that way. In this case, it is Greg McElroy. If you're at Lake Martin and you got a dock sticking out into the lake, well, he's going to pile drive that dock. That is correct. If you wonder who hit your car on the street overnight, it's probably Nick Fairley just barreling through your neighborhood. Okay, Not in a car. Not in a car. Just Nick Fairley just, walking down know, the street. Throwing an elbow. Yeah. Nick Fairley forces a fumble late, killing Alabama's best chance at even staying in this game. The final score, as time expires and Cam Newton covers his mouth to indicate him hushing the entire crowd after they have played, take the money and run on him in Bryant-Denny Stadium in one of the greatest and most justified instances of shit-talking in the history of the SEC. It's 28-27. 28-27. If you'd scored more than three points the rest of the game, you might have won, but hey, you didn't, was, did you? What was Cam's stat line for that game? Can you pull up the full stat line? Cam's stat line for that game is uh, a little wild. Pretty much, like, not not even that great. I think Cam had better games that year. Mm, sure. Yeah. He w- he threw for three TDs. Mm. Wild. Alabama defense surrendering passing TDs. Mm. Who'd have thought that? So he's like, he has 216 yards passing for three TDs, mm. and... He only rushes for 39 yards on 22 attempts, which says that he was chased a lot. Well, it also says he took the money and ran. He did take the money and run. And guess what? He did. He did. Because Alabama, even in its only hope in that season and sort of national relevance was to beat Auburn. They couldn't do it. No, could they? What happened the next year? It's not important. (laughs) What happened two years later? Also not important. Your winning isn't impressive and no one cares about it, Alabama. Just remember that. War Eagle. It happened. We saw. Everyone saw. Football ended on that day. Oh, A.J. McCarron was 0 for 4 that day. 0 for 4. Heisman! 